My name is Lex Dad, and I'm a local Darug man. We share country up here in the Blue Mountains with the Gundangara people. I'd like to pay respects to our elders, both past and present. I'd like to pay respects to our young people who are our emerging elders. I'd like to pay respects to Pemawianga, Mother Earth, and Father Sky, Biami. And I say in our link, local Darug language, Warami Mirega Darug Nyura. Welcome, friends, to Darug country and Yanana Budrigumara. May we all walk with good spirit, with patience, humility, and respect for one another. Didgeridgora, and thank you. I'm Catherine. This is Zach. Hello again. And we have Alex with us again. Hello. And you are listening to Radio Blue Mountains. Uh, we are the hosts of the show Paperback Writer, a book about a show about all things books. A book about all things. Maybe show. maybe one day people will write a book about this. About the show. I think it'd be a <laughs> very short it. book. I wouldn't. <laughs> maybe a graphic novel. Yeah, maybe. Um, so yeah, our show. We have a bit of a longer show today, um, but essentially, yeah, we're going to be talking about a lot of book-related stuff. Yeah, um, so Paperback Writer is a book show for all paperback writers and readers, featuring book reviews, interviews with local Australian and international authors, new releases, literary awards, novel ideas, and um, as people I'm sure know by now if they've listened to this show, a lot of book-related puns. And I could see Catherine's eyes light up right now. It's funny, you know, I was at the library the other day, and someone came in and they started throwing Stephen King books around. Like just throwing them all around the library. Then it hit me. <laughs> what hit you? It. Oh, it. Yeah, oh, oh my gosh. Did I really need gotcha. to explain that? Um, <laughs> Too smart for the to, room. You need to emphasize. You should have gone, then, then it, it hit, hit me. me. Yeah, but the yeah. whole point is, then it hit me. Then it hit me. So and then you have to think about it. You got it. hit by a random Stephen King book. My jokes are wasted on you two. Too smart <laughs> What a waste. Room. I've been saving that up for a few weeks now. Yep. A few weeks? Yeah. Wow. Really, I forgot wow. to say it the last time. Well so. worth it. Yeah. Alex is a big Stephen King fan, so I thought, you know, topical, <laughs> but apparently yeah. too smart for the room. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on with it. <laughs> uh, so welcome to Paperback Writer. We're really excited today um, to have a slightly longer show. Uh, we also have an interview with, oh, I'm going to, I don't want to pronounce his name wrong, Andrew... Jeffrey, Jeffrey Kwabana Moss. Moss. Andrew Jeffrey Kwabana Moss. So he is uh, an author who we have just published only recently. He's written a fantastic young adult novel called Nicked Names. Um, it's a really interesting story about reclaiming the the names that people use to abuse you. And it's set in a high school. Um, he's got a really interesting writing style too, I think it's fair to say. Um, with Andrew and there yeah, we've got uh, an interview coming up a bit later on in the show with him it's uh, he's good. a very interesting guy um, and uh, yeah I think I think we'll um, get a lot of good information from from that little chat yeah it'd be good but first let's talk about what we've been reading that's my favorite part of the show well I love it all really especially <laughs> my puns that no one understands my yeah, jokes yep. um, but we really need that cricket sound don't we no the tumbleweed and then a dry cough well Catherine just make them <laughs> Yeah, that yeah. was a good one. Yeah, you just <laughs> tell me, and I'll, I'll I'll be the sound machine. Okay. <laughs> um, Alex, do you want to start us off? What have you been reading? Sure. Uh, well, I recently read a book called Idol, um, by Louise O'Neill. That I, I really I-D-O-L? enjoyed. I D O L. 
Yes, I-D-O-L. Yes. Um, And it's sort of about like celebrity and influencer culture. So there's this main character, Sam, and her um, platform is built on like empowering women and um, sort of in a way that I, maybe I'm a bit cynical, but I don't view as particularly authentic, like not quite the multi-level marketing selling herbs and things like that, but, um, you know, sort of up that alley. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, I'm intrigued. But <laughs> what an but intro. One her, but, one of her main, yes, but one of her main sort of platforms is um, like always believing the victim and she's a very big, like she's very outspoken um, in terms of, yeah, supporting uh, sexual assault survivors and victims, um, being one herself. Mm. And then um, she's sort of like at the height of her career, she's just had a new book come out and it's um, selling very well. And then someone comes out publicly with an accusation of sexual assault against her. And so it's sort of about how she deals with that um, because, I mean, her whole platform is built on always believing the victim. And so to believe the victim in this situation would be to accept something awful about herself mm. but to say that they're lying is is flies in the face of yeah. everything she's ever stood for so this is non-fiction or fiction it's fiction yeah right. it's fiction and um it's interesting because the author doesn't really um take a stance either way like as you're reading it you're not sure if she's guilty of this awful thing that she's been accused of and it, it really not until the very end of the book and even then you're sort of left to make your own conclusions about it um, which I thought was really interesting. So, yeah, that's what I've been reading, Idol. Um, I also finished The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, which I mentioned oh, no. <laughs> last time oh, that I, I was can, on the show. I can Should I just leave the room? Coming on. <laughs> um, Sorry, I'm just oh, going to take yes. the book and have a look at it because I'm always interested to... Yes, go for it. Um, yeah. yeah, Idol, that one, I really, really enjoyed that book. Um, and Wind-Up Bird Chronicle, I did not dislike <laughs> as much as uh, Norwegian would. I think you're going to say it did not dislike, time. and I'm like, that's not true, yeah. though, is it? <laughs> well, not dislike as much as Norwegian mm. would, for those that listened last time. And I don't think it's possible for you to my, dislike a book yes, more than that. heard my Murakami rant. Yeah. Um, no, it was just a bit weird. It was just really <laughs> interesting. Um, there was another one that Kath has read years ago and recommended. Well, and have, has forgotten <laughs> all the disturbing things that happen. There's a theme here. Yeah, mm. That's just your life in general. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but the main character, whose name is also Toru, um, which is the main character's name in Norwegian Wood, but they have a different last name. I didn't which lick I that. Remember? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Is it a really common Japanese? Maybe last it's like name? a John. Maybe, maybe or it's that, a John. That's just lazy. Writing, uh, well, that's what I thought. I thought, oh, maybe it's just a really culturally common name. Yeah, and then I thought, well, no. If I read two books by the same author who was Caucasian and named both his characters John Smith, I would be a bit like, mm, this is lazy. <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't just be like, oh, it's. I don't know, European culture or something. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and that one was interesting. It was just a bit weird and a bit absurdist. Like, So there were elements that I enjoyed, but mm, other elements that I did not. But, you know, I powered through to the end, so I thought for anyone I feel that like you're <laughs> holding back today, Alex. Uh, well, look, the theme <laughs> is not to just rag completely on books today. So That's I true. It is just what you've been reading. It's just what I've been reading. So, yeah, just that's for, what I've been um, reading. For the listeners' benefit, after a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> uh, Alex made uh, quite the impression in the yeah, studio. Told us pretty much <laughs> what exactly what they thought of Murakami, well, one of Catherine's favourite writers. And for the benefit of safety, we've put a big divider between the two <laughs> today in the studio, just in case it kicks off again. Well, and the theme was books you hate that other people yeah. love, and so yeah, it was it was very it's a passionate one. It was a passionate yeah. one. I loved it. And if you do want to go back and listen, we do have it um, as a podcast on all 
podcast on all platforms. good streaming services. Yeah, um, I definitely went back and listened and just couldn't <laughs> stop laughing, <laughs> and me just helplessly going, but, but. <laughs> <laughs> Awesome. Mm. Well, those sound like th- those sound like good books. This one sounds really interesting. This Louise O'Neill. O'Neill. N- Neil, yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't realize it was fiction too when you were ta- talking about it. That's um, it sounds really interesting. Mm. And the idea that you know you have to believe. Sorry, I'm going back five minutes, but no, that's you fine. have to believe. You know, to stand by what your platform is, you have to then believe that someone's. Se- anyway, I'm just saying exactly what you just said. It sounds interesting. The end. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just thought it was. It was Where's really the tumbleweed? Interesting. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, if you're going to say that, I'm going to tell a joke then, since I've already done a pre tumbleweed. This one was on Ask Roz this morning. (laughs) So, not even original. I mean, are any jokes stealing uh, content? Are any jokes original? Really? Yeah, I don't think Ask Roz is sitting there coming up with these puns, to be honest. That's true. At least you're crazy. As amazing as they are. Yeah. Uh, Ask Rose has some brilliant puns. It does. Before surgery, I was offered to be knocked out with either gas or a boat pedal. It was an either or situation. Uh, ha, ha, ha. <coughs> Is that how you do it? <laughs> no. Yep. Wah, wah, yeah, that's more. Wah, wah. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's more like it. Um, Catherine, please let's move on to what you've been reading. <laughs> well, um, last week I spoke about Janet Frame and had been reading the first two uh, in her autobiography, and I've now finished the third one. Oh, I love her. She's, <sighs> yeah, I could I could rant about her, her for ages. So, so this didn't last. Listen, last time um, Janet Frame is a very famous New Zealand writer and poet um, and who's had a very tragic life and uh, it's common knowledge that they were institutionalized in a in an asylum uh, Do you know around what t- what decade that was um well it was a few times that it happened okay. but it, it was 60s and yeah. 70s okay. i think um and so but not because she was unwell she was diagnosed with schizophrenia but she didn't have schizophrenia she was just painfully painfully shy and also just had a lot of trauma and a lot going on and um, interestingly, the third one, because uh, the first two, the first one's her childhood and it's sort of um, pre-war and then uh, the second one uh, is sort of her at teacher's college and then being admitted. And then the third one is um, she gets, a, I think, a writing scholarship, 300 pounds, to go and experience the world. I don't know, those are my words, but basically to, you know, to, to be able to write better, yeah, to have okay. these life experiences. And wow. she's encouraged by Frank Sargison, who she's currently living with, who's a really famous New Zealand writer as well. And he kind of, I think she, to, to the best extent she could, um, my impression is that she felt really safe with him. And so he really challenged her. And he said, no, why are you working? You're a writer. You need to be a writer. You need to write. And he mm. had these strict routines that he kept to, and she kept them too. And, um, and uh, you know, and, and I think being taken seriously as a writer, even though she always wanted to be a writer and a poet, having someone take her seriously was huge. And so, um, yeah, she, she goes off to London and has adventures and lives in um, Andorra for a little bit, lives in Ibiza for a little. Is that how you say it? Ibiza? Ibiza. Ibiza. Not, but, not that far from Barcelona. <laughs> Which I always thought was like where people went to go raving, but that is what what happens these days. Yeah, but yeah. back then someone said it's the cheapest place you can yeah. live. Like you know, it won't cost you much, and the food's really cheap, and um, and it, it's really uh, and so she does try to write, but she's also trying to figure out who she is, and she has this freedom because she's been institutionalized. I think it was a total of eight years, so by this stage it would have been about seven years or something, and so she's so used to people telling her what to do and controlling everything that she does that. 
not having that happen is really important to her, but she's still trying to figure out who she is and what she looks like because she's young. She's st- she's only um, 31 by this stage. So, you know, she, she's – and a lot of her life has been in, in these mm. horrific institutions. She was almost lobotomized, as I said, last for week. The, for the, the uh, crime of being shy. Yeah. Yeah, wow. Painfully it, shy. It's, it's awful. Um, but anyway, this one was a lot more positive because she was travelling and she actually um, – I don't think it's a spoiler necessarily, but she actually goes to a London – um, psychiatrist where they were well ahead of New Zealand psychiatry I think is an understatement mm. and she actually met with a psychiatrist who actually talked to her <laughs> and did Shocking. yeah I know <laughs> how, like the bar is so low for more than 10 minutes she actually said in the second book I think it was no more than 10 minutes for the I think the six years she'd been in these asylums that, that a psychologist actually spoke to her yeah a psychiatrist wow. yeah and so she uh they were diagnosed and no one ever thought to question it whereas mm. you know then she met someone and they actually connected with her and, and he was like no this is ridiculous you're clearly not schizophrenic and she knew that because mm. she'd met people who were diagnosed with schizophrenia yep. um so then suddenly having this um i'm not schizophrenic then how do i ask for help and she'd sort of almost lent on it a little bit and and not lent on it because that sounds like she was welcoming it but I think she'd used it um, in New Zealand. She, she she was published, and sort of part of peop- why people wanted to buy her books, I think, was because you know it was sort of s- scandalous. Maybe I'm not sure if that's the right word. And so suddenly, what does that mean? If if I haven't been unwell all along and it's official now, what does what does my future look like? Mm-hmm. And um, but I mean, she's she wrote I think ten novels, heaps of books of short stories and poetry. Um, and yeah, it was a, it was really nice to read this one because while it wasn't as heavy, um, you were left feeling quite joyful and relieved, and just feeling you know you see her going forward in in strength rather than just being at, at the the mercy of everyone else, um, which is which yeah. is really nice. I guess after what you've you've said about the book, to be be able to end it that way, I think is is quite nice. But I remember um, I think there were a couple of times when I. <laughs> Saw you reading the book and I heard you do that thing you sometimes do. <laughs> no, Janet, no, don't do that. I actually do it out loud <laughs> and I don't mean to. <laughs> were there a few of those moments in these uh, books? There were with this because she said, I'm going to go to a hospital to see if I'm actually unwell. Mm. And then they said, all right, come into the hospital for six weeks. And I was like, no, yeah. because that's what happened in the past. And she was mm. there for years. But it actually ended up being the best thing because they actually looked after her and were nice to her and oh. talked to her. And it, it was actually really powerful. And she, I think she stayed in touch with some of her psychiatrists. Um, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to spoil it because yeah. there's so much more to this too. And the first sort of psychiatrist she meets is a student in training. And so I think she sort of feeds him what he wants to see because then she'll get more attention from him yeah, because sure. she's lonely. And like there's a, there's a lot of levels to it. But scattered throughout all three of the um, autobiographies, and they're very slim. It's really just one one book if you think about it that way because they're quite um, thin. Um, it's just her poetry at, or poetry she's read or poetry she likes and... Um, I've, I, d- I find it really, I found it really inspiring to read and encouraging me to be like, to, to read more poetry, me read more writing and do more writing, read more writing. <laughs> um, yeah, and it was really nice to finish and think she's going to be okay, even though I, now she's passed away. But you know, after everything she's been mm. through, um, but of course a lot of sad things happen too. But I just think she's such a prolific writer. Um, so I, I've got her book Faces in the Water, which I'll read at some point. Um, which is the fictionalised version of her 
time in the institution. Yeah, right? yeah. exactly. But so it's sort of her experience, but it's also people she's met, mm. Um, mm. and then that sort of gave her publicity too because they, 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 oh, this is clearly her life. This is what happened. But mm. of course, she sensationalised it a bit. And but there were obviously parts that were true as well. Yeah, sure. Um, but I think I need a little break before I read that because I don't know a lot of the book. I just wanted to give her a hug. And even though she would hate that because she's <laughs> desperately shy. <laughs> but, you know, and just, oh, I don't know, almost protect her because she just, yeah. the way she writes to you as the reader, she she really is being so vulnerable and, and sharing what's actually happening inside the, her mind and um, how she feels about herself and how she needs to be treated and how she thinks others should see her. You know, it's, yeah. There's a real talent in being able to do that. And as you say, just to be able to open yourself up to that extent and knowing that this is a book that, strangers in the street right. are going to read yeah but it's, it's also remarkable. I, sorry is it no that's all right. I also think it's quite hard to do in a way that'll be interesting yeah, like I think engaging. she's had a really interesting life mm. but a lot of it was you know I'm on what is it Ibiza <laughs> Ibiza <laughs> well, I don't know wherever Ibiza and you know just meeting a couple of local um, women and you know they were teaching her to cook sardines and you know and, but she missed New Zealand butter and things like mm. that that aren't actually that exciting but in the context of this book were really I found really engaging paint you know? a picture yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. and she sort of has her first uh, I don't know if they'd call she'd call him her boyfriend but you know and and, and uh, the experience of that and it, uh, honestly some of the stuff you'd feel like it's fiction <laughs> the, yeah. the things she gets herself into and I won't say much but it, it's <laughs> you just some of the times I was just blinking at disbelief in the page, just going, "How did you get yourself into this situation? <laughs> like, this is so odd yeah. and so funny, and probably hilarious to look back on." But you know, being in that situation, probably you just be horrified. Yeah, 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 definitely. Fair enough. Hello and welcome back to Paperback Writer on Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM, as that guy just said. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um, <clears throat> we're still talking about books that we've been reading lately. Catherine and Alex have told us a little bit about their books. I just wanted to talk briefly about a, uh, um, another nonfiction book, actually, called Rising 44. Uh, and this is actually a book about the uh, Warsaw um, Uprising in 1944, um, not to be confused with the uh, the, the rise, uh, the uprising of uh, Jewish people in the Jewish ghetto, which happened before that, which is an, an incredible and remarkable story in itself. But this is more. Uh, this is an event that happened a bit later on, uh, and was a general uprising by the uh, the population of Warsaw at the time. Uh, and um, it's it's fascinating history. Uh, it really is, and there's some of the personal stories from this time are just remarkable and heartbreaking and uplifting tales of heroism and just horrific evil i mean it's just a if if you want to see the full scope of humanity and what humans are capable of uh reading <laughs> this this kind of book pretty mm. much covers all your bases um so yeah it was this is one of the one of the biggest stories that came out of this uh rising i um, i guess there's quite a few but was the idea that uh, the Polish underground rose up against the Nazi occupation because the Red Army, the Soviet Army, was essentially just across the river from Warsaw at the time. So the Soviets had been marching across Eastern Europe back towards Berlin um, and they got to uh, pretty much the other side of the river in Warsaw and then the army stopped. And so the Poles knew that the, Russia, the Red Army was there, that the, the Warsaw would be liberated at any moment. 
So the Poles mm. rose up against the Germans. The problem was the Red Army stayed still and didn't move and didn't intervene and didn't come across the river uh, to help out. And, and uh, I mean, this is not a spoiler because it's pretty well-known yeah. history, but the, uh, the um, rising was put down and in a very brutal manner. I think it went for about six weeks or so in total. Um, and the Germans actually crushed, crushed the resistance and there were some really terrible atrocities that happened um, during that, that battle. What, and they just sat there and watched? <clears throat> Essentially, yeah. Now, there's some historical debate about whether it was a deliberate action because Stalin wanted to destroy the last remnants of the Polish military and the Polish intelligentsia so that it would be, make Poland an easier country to control. Mm-hmm. Um, Norman Davies, the author of this book, mentions that there's... That is quite likely a valid scenario, but there's other factors involved as well because the the Red Army had just launched this remarkable thrust to get to that position in the first place and they were kind of exhausted and they needed to, what, to six, rest. They needed six weeks to rest. Come on. Well, I mean, we're talking about literally millions of soldiers mm. and thousands and thousands of um, armoured vehicles and artillery pieces and that kind of thing. They All those people have to be fed and... They have to be clothed and they need a rest from, from uh, the trauma of battle. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't want many s- of them were injured and stuff as well. Yeah. I don't want to yeah. sound heartless, sorry, but I just, no. th- the fact that they s- didn't intervene, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. well, I it's, mean, it's, it's complicated. Hard, it's hard to grapple with. It is, with. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There, there's a lot of interesting history there. Um, and uh, one of the things that tends to suggest that uh, the Soviet army, or that Stalin in particular, wasn't keen to intervene and deliberately withheld the fact. Um, withheld assistance was the fact that the uh, the British had to fly supply planes over Warsaw from bases in Italy mm. and they weren't allowed to land in Soviet-occupied territory. Um, so they had to basically do this long trip from Italy over Warsaw, drop off their supplies and then come back to Italy. They weren't allowed to land in Soviet Russia and refuel and get supplies. So it made it much, much harder to um, provide an effective airlift to the um, to the the people who were rising up against the the Germans, uh, so there was a, mm. a massive amount of politics going on at upper levels there, um, w- as was the case during the whole war. Anyway, um, the book itself uh, it's quite thick. It's a pretty good doorstopper. Um, it's it's fascinating history. I've read another book by Norman Davies on uh, the U- the history of the the UK, effectively the British Isles. I think it's called the Isles, uh, which was really interesting. I really enjoyed that. This book. I was a bit disappointed. The topic is amazing and it's fascinating, but the way uh, Norman Davies wrote the book is is quite disappointing to me. Actually, I, I came away dissatisfied. Mm. Um, and the in ma- what way disappointing? Well, like- the, the the main reason. I mean, again, it's not the the subject matter because that's amazing, but the um, he especially once he really gets into the story, um, he he's writing about the events that are happening. Uh, on a macro level and on a micro level, mm. but every two or three pages he would then add a personal story, like a, mm. a diary extract, something like that, from someone who was there, um, which was interesting in itself, but you'd get two pages and then halfway through the page he'd start this personal story, which would go for half of that page and then the, the, the top of the, the next page. And then he'd start going back to the history and then two or three pages later you get another personal story mm. and it really i mean i'm a big i i think i've talked about this on the on the show before but flow to me is really important in any book whether it's fiction or non-fiction you, yeah. you don't want to be start stop start stop all the time you need to you want to especially something you're really interested in a topic you want to learn a lot about 
you do, I don't think you want to be in this position where you're reading and you're really engaged and then you have to make a decision. Do I read the personal story, which I know is going to it's potentially going to be really interesting, mm. but it's going to take me completely away from what I was just reading mm. for a page and then go back? But or do I, do I just keep reading the history, come back later and then read all the personal stories and... Weren't they relevant, the personal stories, to not what was nece- happening? Not necessarily. Really? In okay, some, that's a problem. To some extent, yes, but... That would definitely take me out yeah. of the experience, yeah. bit, I think. Yeah. yeah. That would frustrate me. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I, I feel like... I mean, there were so many personal stories in there as well, and some of them were quite... Uh, really tugged at my heartstrings and were really interesting stories. Um, a lot of them, I think, probably could have been cut out, which would have made the book flow a lot better. And mm. I don't really know how I could have done it better, to be honest. Maybe put a a bunch of the personal stories like four or five of them over four or five pages and then you go back to the history for 30 or 40 pages and then the personal stories that might have been a better way to do it or the end of each chapter perhaps it would have flowed a lot better that way I think Mm. Um, there were a couple other little slightly annoying um, bits of terminology that uh, he kept using as well Um, but like what well, yeah, <laughs> don't, don't don't keep moving on. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, it might sound a bit a bit silly, but um, the the first probably twenty five percent of the book, he's talking about the background and the um, what led to the the rising and the occupation of Poland and all that kind of thing. Again, fascinating history, but very early on in that section, he starts to he doesn't use the word Poland. He uses the word Poland a couple of times, and then for the rest of that first quarter of the book he refers to Poland as the first ally now I understand the the, the point is to mm. emphasize that Poland was a really important ally of the United Kingdom in particular and France as well so he really wanted to uh, to really emphasize the point mm. that they were t- to some extent abandoned uh, by their allies or that their allies weren't a- are capable of doing a lot um, but the, but he used that term every single time for the next 25% of the book. Hang on, so he would say, and then the first allies did this rather than, and then Poland did this. And then this happened to the first ally. Well, and and not Poland, really the first ally. He, he basically, know. you know, when you're writing in a Word document yeah. and you put the word Poland everywhere and then you do the find and replace. <laughs> yes. It's effectively did that. Yeah, um, that's and again, really bizarre. didn't do that for the whole <laughs> book. It was for the first quarter of the book. And it just really, I and don't why know why... Did it, it really annoyed me. Why did it stop after a quarter? Uh, I don't because well, then that was the background section of the book, right. and once he stopped talking about the background, he then moved into what actually happened during the rising, and then he stopped using the first ally. And I just, mm. it was very off-putting to me. Yeah. I just yeah. would have preferred. One of the reasons it was really off-putting to me was this book was recommended to me as well because one of the interesting things about it was the author decided he made a conscious decision to uh, effectively anglicise a lot of the Polish names or to shorten them mm. um, in order to help English, read, English speakers um, have, a, have a better flow, basically, when yeah. they're reading. So it was a bit more accessible. Like yeah. It, yeah, and that was, that was the idea. Um, yeah. I mean, again, I, I think that was ruined by the fact that he had all these personal stories kind of every two or three pages that really, really not a fan of those damaged the flow. <laughs> um, were the, first, were the, sto- the personal stories of the first allies? <laughs> <laughs> Some of them were, yes. Um, so I, I, that was a really interesting component to me and, I, and that's an interesting discussion in itself actually whether you should do that or not but, um, in a work of history. But uh, the fact that he clearly was making an attempt to make the book more accessible but then just kept doing these little things that 
worked in completely the opposite direction to that mm. and made it l- flow less effectively. And the thing, every time I saw First Ally, all I could, it just made me stop for a split second every single yeah. time. That's what I was going to say. It seems less a, like less an issue with the specific terminology and more mm. just that it relates back to flow. Like yeah. it took you out of the, the book and the narrative flow of, of what you were reading like yeah. so completely that you were just, yeah, really well, put off by it. You'd have that split second of first, oh, Poland, yeah, okay. You know, and then eventually you knew exactly what it was saying, but it was just, I, every time I saw it, I was just like, pl- just write Poland. Well, can you please just, it's a book about Poland just yes. write the word Poland yes you and that's the kind of commentary that like once it's been said once or twice yeah you know exactly yeah exactly yeah. Right. I mean I already know who the first allies are just from this conversation Poland <laughs> oh yeah you're right yeah, yeah good See, guess. that's all you need yeah. <laughs> did, did either of you ever read Mag- Magda Zubanski's book her um, autobiography Reckoning no, no I, I haven't didn't. Uh, well, I have only listened to, I think, two audiobooks ever. I much prefer reading them, but I listened to her audiobook. I, it was free on ABC Listen for a while. This is Sharon from Kath and Kim. Yes, yep. Sharon. Mm-hmm. Oh, hi, pretty. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, she she wrote an autobiography, and I don't like autobiographies generally. I don't think they're that interesting, um, unless I'm really interested in unless the person. Unless it's Janet Frame. I was about to say, I'm very <laughs> aware that the last two weeks I've spoken about that. But, but that's the thing. Generally, you know, people aren't that interesting are more interested in their art or anything mm. but um everyone was talking about this and part of the reason the audiobook was so good was because she did the accents um and so her <laughs> mum is scottish and her dad is polish which links to what i'm about to say um but then they moved to i think liverpool mm. and then i think they moved to australia and so she did all these accents why didn't you say australia australia yeah, that's, that's true um uh, uh anyway it was really good i highly recommend it yeah. but her father was uh, part of the Polish uprising mm. and and it's really interesting because she starts the book knowing that he was part of it somehow mm. but he didn't really talk about it and she knew that a lot of people in the community sort of knew him and almost revered him but didn't know why and he didn't want to talk about it of course because he was traumatised as anything as you would be and so as the book continues she and, and she tries to get to know her mum more and gets to know her dad more and as the book goes on, she finds out more and more. And eventually he sits down with her uh, and, and tells her. And then she's like, is my dad a murderer? Because he would have had to kill people yeah. because it was an uprising. Like, like and it. it was in war. But like, And then is the, how can you justify it? And it's really interesting. I mean, also she's funny. Like I, I, didn't, I only know her from Kath and Kim, um, maybe because I didn't grow up in Australia. Mm. So I didn't know about these other things she was speaking about. But she was like went through this stage. Uh, well, not... I suppose she's still a feminist, but she was feminist. And then the part where she was in a gang. Oh, it was so funny. I couldn't stop laughing. Magda Zabansky was in a gang. Yep. Um, but she's she's <laughs> so smart. That's, and that was news to me yeah. as well. I, I, that's all I'm going to say. But a I tell you what. A gang? Um, I knew like. you were going to ask me this. It was like a kind of sock hop sort of style gang, I think. And don't quote me on that. But what it was... Is, what is sock hop? Uh, see, I knew you were going to... I don't have the book with me. <laughs> you because can't just say... She was, she in, was a in a sock hop, hop gang. gang. And and I don't know, no okay, what that, that means. means. <laughs> All right, you know in um, The Outsiders, you know this, this, the, 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 the ga- it's like, no, it's not. I'm not doing this okay. well. But basically, it wasn't like a gang like I'm going to go gonna, stab I'm you. I'm just going to Google sock hop. No, well, no, sock hop is a dance, so I've definitely just confused <laughs> everyone. Search Magda Zubansky gang. gang. She was in a, a dance troupe is what you No, saying. it wasn't even dancing. Okay. I just, I, I've confused myself. Anyway, the point <laughs> is she's an excellent writer. I Honestly, I I was... I was, wasn't expecting, like, I think she's very funny, mm. but I wasn't expecting 
and was pleasantly surprised by how what a storyteller she was. Yeah. And it's quite a long book, but I loved it. I really enjoyed it, and I was laughing out loud. And there were a couple of bits where I cried. And um, and you see, she follows her whole life, and you know her processing herself, and um, yeah who who she is and how to be and, and then you know trying to get into tv and writing when it's very male dominated and mm. you know meeting i actually don't know the names of kath and kim what are the actresses <laughs> i don't know their names either isn't that terrible we should know this who i feel who like i should have my citizenship revoked Th- what are the actresses uh, who play? jane yes Sh- not champion <laughs> something or other and i was thinking jane harper no she's an one. author I don't That's really bad <laughs> that I don't know that actually. They are, but they're so Kath and Kim. so funny. Kim. Yeah. They're so good. Not Jane Lee. Who said that? I never said that. No. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Welcome to the Kath and Kim show. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, I, it's a bit of an aside, but I just found that really interesting about her father and the Polish yeah. um, uprising and his role. And, and he actually talks about what it was like for him. And um, that's it. Gina Riley and Jane Turner. We should have Jane, known that. I knew Kath there was Day a Jane Knight. There. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's such yeah. a good show. Okay, and welcome back to Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. Um, So, Catherine, what have we been up to? Everything. Been up to everything. And nothing. And nothing. Mm. Well, no, on the weekend, um, we were really lucky. I I really enjoyed it, uh, to be part of the Refugee Art Fair. Um, So it was at the Wentworth... What's it called? The School of Arts? The School of Wentworth Arts. Yeah. Which I'd never been to before. What and a cool building. And library and building. And there's so much in that yeah. building. It's a great and venue. And I didn't realise it was a proper theatre with like stairs that go down the sides. You were very impressed with by dressing the rooms and real dressing rooms. Oh, <laughs> and the high roofs. It was like almost Tudor style. What a beautiful mm. building. It is. Um, so it was on there. And th- there was a lot going on. So um, you were there the first day, Zach, looking um, after our store. So we had um, – so we have a book shop called Rosie Ravelston Books and uh, we support refugees and asylum seekers by giving 50% of our profits Um, but also we make sure we have a really big selection of books by and about refugees and asylum seekers Um, so we bought those books along with us and had a little stall and got to meet people and uh, talk to people in the community Um, and I think you got a selfie with Susan Templeman right Zach? uh, Excuse me Susan Templeman got a selfie with me (laughs) thank you very much. You're kind of a big deal. As you you know um, uh, selfies and Zach don't really go together. And politicians. uh, (laughs) (laughs) It depends on the politician. She's um, alright. Yeah yeah, I I mean it was it was an amazing event again I was just there on the the first day, um, but just the opportunity to, to talk to people. And a lot, obviously a lot of people were refugee advocates there, yeah. um, but not everybody. Some people just came to have a look and check out the art. We had refugees and asylum seekers in attendance themselves. Yeah, um, Some of them were artists. Um, we had someone doing henna um, mm. painting, which was really cool. They were they were very talented. Yeah, and in the in the entrance way, um, mm. the the Blue Mountains Refugee Support Group have uh, printed a bunch of paintings and drawings and art that uh, local high schools have have uh, I don't know created about refugees and asylum seekers and the whole experience. And so th- those were on display, mm. um, you know, at a lot of their events, and they're really powerful, really powerful. And then um, you went into the hall and you actually saw all the art that was there for sale. So. Mm. Uh, the profits went to the artist as well as uh, some to the Blue Mountains Refugee Support Group. And there was some cool art. Yeah. Like everything you could imagine, every style of art ever, basically. Um, Insanely you know, powerful pieces. Really well. powerful. Just very moving. And one's done, um, you know, by people who paint with coffee because, mm. you know, when you're in detention, you don't have art supplies. supplies yeah. So, you know, and... and uh, 
watering down the coffee to get various shades of brown and then using a lot of instant coffee to get a deep shade of brown. so resourceful. Isn't it? It's so creative. Um, And then, yeah, I mean, we got got ourselves a little graphic print by, I think, Marty was his name. Mm. Um, But there was watercolour, there were sketches, there was... Or you name it, photography. It was mm. it was really powerful, and it was a really good turnout. Mm. Um, and, and we just met some really great people um, as well. And uh, it, w- it was yeah, it was fantastic. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and it's also good. I mean, Catherine and I, I th- we've been working in this space on and off for probably the last ten years or so. I think yeah, easily. Um, <laughs> and it can be as as I think any activist knows or advocate um, in, in any kind of space. It can be quite draining and can mm. take a lot out of you. And, yeah, I and cried twice. <laughs> quite, quite often um, you, you you feel like you're in a tiny minority, that you're, you know, sometimes you're the only people who care about a particular issue. Well, especially with the last government, you know, you were hearing this rhetoric, weren't you, of stop the boats and they're illegals yeah. and things. So it was, you know, you can it can feel very isolating. It can, but to be in that environment and to see other people who really care passionately about mm. this issue as we do um, really help to, uh, to, to um, remind us that this is a really important issue, that there are a lot of people, a lot of Australians out there who really care strongly about this. Yeah. Um, and... You know, we uh, we're not prepared to let the government forget about what's happened to refugees and asylum seekers in Australia, and mm-hmm. we certainly and expect still the new happening. the new federal government to do a much better job than Absolutely. the previous federal government did. Um, but they're not off the hook either. We're 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 keeping an eye on things, and we're going to keep pressuring um, wh- whichever political party is in power. Yep. Um, you know, to treat refugees and asylum seekers with just human decency. It's really not. Yeah that difficult a step to take we're not free until we're all free right yeah exactly Mm. right but a big Mm. thank you to the blue mountains refugee support group for organizing the event as well and to the artists who contributed their pieces definitely and Um, just to people that came and visited it was really funny um you uh, i'm not going to get his name right now the surgeon uh, munji and he's really famous and yeah, he's a refugee. Um, Munjid Al Madaris. Yeah. yeah. And someone came past and they're like, oh, he's my surgeon. Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> I'll get that book. He's oh, my surgeon. <laughs> I just love that. <laughs> and it's really cool because a lot of people are like, oh, I've read that one and that's really good and I've read that yeah. one. So mm. it shows that there's a lot of um, really good literature that, yeah, that's is. coming out, you know, um, especially by people who's. Uh, who've had this experience, you know, um, and that's something we really try to promote too because I think, you know, it's all very well me speaking about my experiences of what I've seen, but, the, uh, you know, it, I can't really say much compared to people who've been there and experienced that. Um, so to be reading these books and hearing these stories from people who, who have experienced and are experiencing this is just unbelievably powerful. Um, and so what about the children's books? Oh, the children's books were so cute, aren't they? I mean, there's, uh, there, there's, there's um, you know... Some of them are obviously quite sad about the stories of refugees, but there were some really positive ones about, like, everyone's welcome and, you know, I'm Australian too and mm. um, one with the amnesty um, uh, rights of the child. No, the, no, just the human rights, isn't it? Yeah. It's illustrated yeah. and we've got some great kids' books um, that, that it's, it's, it's really nice to, to be able to access this, I suppose, and, and to get them out, to have these messages of belonging and welcoming and kindness yeah. um, to everyone, which yeah. I really love. Mm. And um, Alex, I think you were there on the Sunday for a bit as well. I was. I came and visited Kath and yeah, it was a really good turnout. There was mm. just lots of people and lots of really good discussions being had and things like that. The children's books were a good seller at the store, weren't they? Yeah. Like, people really enjoyed that. And I think yeah. it's so important having like children's literature with really um, positive messages like that. Like I just think it's really important. Yeah. 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 Yeah, no, they did a really good job. And, me- Refugee Support Group. and meanwhile, Safta Ahmed's book has won another 
another award. Yep. Am I bad? Were you about to say that? I was just about to Sorry. talk about that. That's all right. But I mean, you, we can pretty much say that every week we come uh, on this really? show. It's insane. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, I can't remember the exact name of the award, but it was a, a Western Australian-based award. It was a graphic novel. It was a, uh, I think it was something to do with comics or graphic yeah, arts. Yeah, in, in WA. Yeah. Um, so I did, I did just want to uh, make the point, um, bringing this back to books as well, is that uh, two of the books we did have on sale at the art show, um, we actually have author talks with those authors coming up which is really exciting so on the 11th of september the sunday at 2 p.m we have eileen crow coming to talk to us she's written a non-fiction book called acts of cruelty australia's immigration laws and experiences of people seeking protection after arriving by plane uh and if i'm not mistaken um eileen is a franciscan nun who um, has done a lot of research in this area uh and really wanted to uh, to have a voice and to get out there and to talk about um, just uh, essentially how um, inhumane and cruel the Australian government's policy has been in this space. Mm. Um, and then uh, a month later on the 23rd of October, we have the aforementioned Safdar coming up to do an author talk with us. And that will be a free event. They're, they're all, all of our events are free, I should say. Um, two o'clock on the 23rd of October, Sunday, at um, the uh, Lawson Convent Hall in uh, Lawson. So Safdar Ahmed will be coming up to talk about his amazing book, Still Alive, that a graphic novel keeps winning awards left, right and centre. It's flying off our shelves. We, I'm struggling to keep up <laughs> with, the, the, with the publisher. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing and very powerful graphic novel uh, about Safdar spending time in the Villawood Immigration Detention Centre with refugees and asylum seekers and documenting their experiences. Um, mm. And to top it off as well, Safdar uh, is a, a Hazo local as well. He, he was originally anyway. I think he's living yeah, in Sydney him. now, but yeah. <laughs> um, so he's uh, he's uh, come from the Blue Mountains and he's done this remarkable work. It's been translated into French as well, his graphic novel. Um, That's yeah. cool. That's cool. I didn't know that. No, yeah. neither did yeah. I. It's remarkable. He's he's just doing a fantastic job and he's got a uh, – he's just a fascinating guy as well. Mm. And he's part of the Refugee Art Project too, so I think he does I think a lot he with runs that. the Refugee yeah, Art Project. Yeah, actually, I think you're yeah, right. Down in he's Sydney. He's definitely one of the yeah, big Yeah, the key wigs. figures. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. So that uh, I think they'll be fantastic events, and uh, as I said, they're both free, um, both held in the Mid Mountains. So yeah, come along and have a chat. Hello, and welcome back to Paperback Writer. Um, Catherine, this is Zach, and we are really excited um, to have someone on the show with us today that we're going to be interviewing about their new book that's just been published. Um, this is Andrew. Um, hi Andrew, how are you? Hello, Hello. lovely, uh, lovely to join you today. <laughs> Thank you, uh, Zach. Do you want to do a bit of an intro about uh, Andrew's book? Well, we're very excited to have Andrew on the show today. Um, he has written a, a book called Nicked Names, and funnily enough, it's been published by Rosie Revelston Books. Oh, I've heard they're a great publisher. <laughs> um, we're we're very keen to have um, Andrew on the show and to have a chat to him about the book. Um, so the book is called Nick Names, and um, it's written by Andrew Jeffrey Quabena Moss. Um, and uh, I guess a good place to start, Andrew, uh, is if you could maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, wonderful. Thank you for the introduction. I suppose a logical enough place to start would be my name itself. Um, obviously, there are four parts to this story. So basically, <laughs> the Andrew, I was named after Andrew Marvell, the English metaphysical poet. That's <laughs> my dad's influence um, as an English teacher. Equally, 
And is that true or did he just make it up? Because Andrew's a pretty popular name. <laughs> well, that's true. I think Andrew Marvel sounds pretty good though, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Uh, that's a good good origin story, I'd say. Um, <laughs> and then the Jeffrey after Jeffrey Chaucer, that is also a true story. <laughs> yep. um, and then Quabana is more from my mother's Ghanaian heritage. So <laughs> Quabana basically is a day name that means uh, you're born on a, on a Tuesday. And each day of the week has a particular name. Uh, you'd be familiar, I'm sure, with Kofi Annan, Kofi yeah. Friday. So each girl has a corresponding day name. Lots of them start with a K uh, and a KW for boys in particular. Uh, the girl's equivalent uh, to Wabana is Abana, so born on a Tuesday there. And the moss comes from my dad's side also. So that's a little bit of a name. Um, and I already just mentioned my dad was English, my mum is Ghanaian. Uh, they basically met in Ghana. My dad had been teaching in Nigeria for a while and it, it's a real love story really because my dad was originally training to be a priest, my mum was training to be a nun and somehow when they met each other uh, that plan was off. And, uh, <laughs> married and um, a brother and I are a product of that uh, that romance, basically. Uh, so I was born in Ghana. Uh, we moved. There was an oil crisis uh, in '73. Uh, my grandmother was also uh, sick with Parkinson's, so uh, my mum and dad decided that we we would move to the UK. So we moved there in 1977 when I was two, and we moved to Bedfordshire uh, to a small market town there. Uh, and then I did all of my schooling there. I went to university, to Nottingham University. I was on the brink of doing a history secondary teaching course, and I decided I was a little bit green around the gills, so I needed a bit of life experience. Uh, I moved on to do a, a TESOL course, I, which I absolutely loved. I went to, I uh, lived in Japan for a couple of years. Wow. Oh was fantastic uh, and in the back of my mind I thought well you know perhaps I need a qualification for teaching in the UK to fall back on so I did go back to the UK um, and I ended up teaching in a very multicultural school in northwest London uh, which was then ironically where I had a quest to meet someone that was a Londoner but a lot of my uh, closest circle of friends were either Jamaican or Polish or uh, <laughs> Antipodean. So I met the uh, the Antipodean diaspora. Um, Sorry about that. <laughs> um, I can tell you proudly, I bought my first pair of board shorts, my body, um, nice. Wilson Green. Um, then I met an Australian, got married and, and moved to, uh, to Golden, where I've been, either Golden or Canberra, for the last 14 years. Yeah, yeah wow. Yeah, and I have three children, uh, all born here in australia yeah that's uh certainly a good backstory um so with that backstory in mind then um nickname why did you decide to write this book yes yeah well initially it was uh part of an assessment an assignment for a course that i did back in way back in 2012 it was uh write a, a course for writing for children and young adults i'm basically a primary school teacher and i really 
respected the power of of some of the the novels that I had been teaching, and I decided to have a go myself. Um, so one of those assignments uh, involved really thinking about a young adult cross with a sort of adult novel, actually. Uh, so I started to explore an idea really about, I guess, re the reappropriation of, of names, of racist names, sort of mm. dealing with racism and bullying. Um, some of those themes were based on experiences that I've had, but I wanted to primarily write a book that was entertaining rather than uh, didactic or preaching. Mm. And I wanted to show really the solidarity and creativity that people can have with language and how that can actually be be powerful more powerful than than using violence to rewrite injustices you know historic injustices yeah um i, I mean i love that i think that's that's such an awesome way um to, to do things you know especially if you're writing for that audience so you said it was sort of a, for a young adult kind of audience you In sort of sense although i would actually say it's it's for it's for everybody um because you know racism affects all of us yeah. um, no matter what the environment might be um, yeah. it was cathartic in that it allowed me actually to reflect on experiences from a distance and i think it was significant that i was away from you know away from the age in which uh, some of those experiences uh, were 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 seeds or or ingredients in the story so I, mm. yeah i think that was that was important to have that that distance and actually process some of that uh, later yeah. on and i'm guessing the uh, the name of the book itself, Nicked Names, comes from that idea of reclaiming names yeah. that have been taken away from the characters? Absolutely. Both, um, literally, uh, there's an event in the story that I won't go into because I would really like people to, to find that out for themselves. <laughs> so essentially, names are taken back, uh, literally, but also metaphorically, and... <laughs> It really, I'm interested in the symbolism of language itself and the fact that really for language to work, you know, it's invested in trust. It's actually a very weak <laughs> that we give in a physical sense um, when we emit these words. Therefore, it really takes a community to trust in the concept, you know, for it to be accepted. So that in itself to me is a really interesting hmm means of, of communicating you know through it through our evolution so it's to do with that but which totally makes sense you know hearing you say you know your your name and what each of those mean like language is clearly you know a, a important to you but also a really strong theme throughout the book and i think it's probably one of the things i enjoyed most was uh the, the main character you know and his amazing vocabulary and you know him and his dad kind of really getting on and playing with words and challenging each other uh you know yeah, <laughs> yeah no, no, I'm part of the editing process or a few times i had to call andrew and say so what does this word mean <laughs> <You> <laughs> just have yeah. the yeah. but i loved that i yeah. thought that was yeah. real strength of the book yeah, <laughs> yeah and i suppose i i did grow up i mean listening to my dad really wax lyrically and he had a very extensive vocabulary so i've been 
awed by that myself. Um, you know, perhaps I've absorbed just a small part of that myself, but um, I, I'm interested in the specificity, specificity of language. I think I've mispronounced that word. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. You're good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in a way, you know, when we label things and the character, the main character in the story, Norman, is labelled, he's basically mislabeled, mm. um, and as his, as his, you know, physiognomy is is slightly ambiguous to people. People don't quite know where he's from. Therefore, he attracts a whole host of names. You know, Zebra is one of the names because he's considered to be half white, half black. A very important part of this is being specific with language so that, and self-identification is really important to me. Um, rather than being a biracial uh, or a mixed heritage character, whatever that means, I mean, we all have a very mixed heritage. <laughs> yeah. um, I think it's important that the characters in the book actually challenge basically what I would consider to be kind of lazy uh, use of language and and they do they do challenge that um there's something I remember reading it was a uh, a book called a pigment of my imagination which I actually love the title of that nice. it's a yeah. PhD thesis that turned into a book and it's um written I think by a Zimbabwean lady who uh she I think is half Zimbabwean and half something something European anyway her brother was categorized you know as being black african she on the other hand was categorized as being white uh, <laughs> you know through that experience she uh was interested in this kind of classification she went to various parts of the world and she really exposed the social construct of race so that for example in jamaica there, there were many terms many gradations and in the u.s there's that one drop rule where you're considered mm. to be, you know, um, <laughs> ridiculous. you know, yeah. going back several generations, whereas in other parts of the world, you know, things were looked upon in much more basic sort of black and white terms. Mm. Yeah. Well, just on that topic, I mean, it, it is clear to me that you're the kind of person who wants to help make the, the world a better place. Um, and one of the things I've noticed through the book as well is the influence of music. Mm. Um, particularly on the protagonist Norman's life. Um, And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about that. I mean, is there a reason why you kind of put a bit of focus on music and do you think that Mm. it does have the ability to to make positive change? Sure. I think that was quite subconscious. I mean, it's something that I'm passionate about and I love a lot of music, lots of different genres. And I think at a similar age, I was influenced by hip-hop music Um, so that that's important I think from a sort of anthropological um, vantage point I'm interested in where you know the evolution of speech where did you know prose or everyday speech and music where did that actually bifurcate that fascinates me and I think at, at one stage there was a blend you know between music music and language itself which we still um, see today, you know, the importance of things like nursery rhymes and rhythm and, and embedding that in memory. Uh, so I feel, you know, music is something that's very much hardwired into us in terms of, you know, our faculties to make meaning of things and to make sense of things on both, you know, a, a sort of logical and emotional level, we connect to it. So music to me is a very 
sort of powerful tool. That's why I also love poetry because it it plays with that grey area between between everyday speech and song. Yeah, I like that. Um, so what what authors in, inspire your work? Yes. Okay. Look, I mean, I'll say as a child. Roald Dahl, most certainly. I still remember uh, reading George's Marvelous Medicine. The <laughs> yep. My dad read Danny the Champion of the World to me. So that playfulness, I think, with language, with character, uh, certainly had an influence. Um, that makes a lot of reading. sense having read your book, actually. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and recently, actually, I was thinking about a book that my mum uh, got from the library where she was working in uh, the sort of preschool or, or nursery unit in the lower school where I was and she came back home really excited and she had a book called Comfort Herself a chapter book written by Geraldine Kay and basically this book is about uh, a Ghanaian well she's Ghanaian and you know partly Ghanaian partly English so Comfort the protagonist is an 11 year old and her mum her English mother dies in a car crash I think it was and she has this you know very difficult choice whether she stays in England with her very old-fashioned grandparents or whether um, her father in Ghana contacts her and then she actually decides to go to Ghana and she has a, a huge sort of cultural shift that she makes into um, village life. Now that was it's something I've kind of pretty much almost buried as an experience under, under other things but mm. you know when I really look at that it really is the cliche of a role model looking at someone in literature that wasn't a musician that wasn't you know a sports person that mm. had a similar you know had a similar heritage to me that was actually in a book um, that in itself became you know a, a real matter of of pride actually to see yeah. that I felt a real sense of uh, belonging validation from it so that that's a key book um no i mean you've just released nickname so i'm sure you've been pretty busy recently uh, are there any other projects that you're uh, working on or have in mind yes yeah, so basically on um my debut poetry collection i should be working with a with a editor um getting that out so that's forthcoming and that's uh, called childish recollections which is a collection based on childhood experience um i've written a couple of other manuscripts one of them is really about the experience later experience of living in London and then moving to Australia and it sort of deals with the African diaspora of which I'm a part but also the Australian diaspora and people from mm. Australia going back uh, yeah. to Britain which is a lesser you know those two ideas I don't think are connected as often as they uh, mm. as they should be um I've got a couple of ideas for novels, but I think that'll that they will take a while. Um, <laughs> so you've got some novel ideas. Novel ideas, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I've got to try and get um, that one in every episode. So. It's, yes, I'd I'm sort of working on um, adapting Nick to names into a into a play script. Um, That'd be awesome. Yeah. It's an exciting. Yeah, it's a very different sort of discipline in a way, but it helps me sort of strip strip down some of the description as well and just you know enhanced dialogue perhaps but it's just you know it, it's just an interesting process to look at it from from another yeah. angle um i think it would translate really well yeah. as a play actually Definitely. i really do yeah yeah hopefully um and and yeah just to see those character interactions bring it to life in a, in a different way 
Um, and that said, you know, being a teacher, I guess I'm sort of looking for, for ways of, of attracting people to a story. So also audio, I think, is something that I really uh, think is important. You know, so hopefully, you know, a nickname's audio book at some stage in the future will be And the other project I'm working on at the moment is with a amazing uh, writer and academic, Dr. Marva McLean, and she uh, is a scholar and an activist who primarily interrogates and is interested in the African diaspora. She is going to write a book called The Struggle for Justice, Equity and Peace in the Global Classroom um, to do with things we've spoken about, decolonizing the curriculum, looking at equitable education, uh, how we can really use students at funds of knowledge of their own cultural heritage and their yeah. own human rights. So that's really exciting. So yeah, I to that. Um, so yes, those are those are some of the things that I'm that I'm doing. Is that all, Andrew? Or any <laughs> full time job as a teacher? Exactly. So. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the day job, of course. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Not forgetting that. Um, so just, uh, just in case my principal's listening. Yep. That's right. <laughs> so um, Nick's names by Andrew Jeffrey Quabana Moss. Um, where can people get copies of your book? Now, at all good bookshops, but there is a very good bookshop in particular in the Blue Mountains. I've heard of that place. I have heard of it. <laughs> Where is it? Yeah, funnily enough. So that's uh, Hazelbrook, isn't it? It is Hazelbrook. <laughs> Rosie Ravelston Books, definitely. Um, also, especially if you're an international reader, and I'm hoping uh, people that will read this in the UK, uh, the US, uh, amongst other places, Amazon. Certainly, you know, they will print copies um, in the US, in the UK as well. Uh, other places, Book Depository, um, Booktopia, Barnes and Noble, Waterstones in the UK as well. So it's widely available. Yeah. And it's an ebook, right? Ebook, you can, yeah. Yep, yeah, you can get the ebook, but you can get the, the paperback as well. I think that's a pretty good note to end on. Thank you. <laughs> thank you so much, Andrew. Yeah, thank you. Really appreciate your time. Um, and I guess we'll play a couple of songs. Brilliant. Thank you very much for having me. And welcome back to Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. You're listening to Paperback Writer with Zach, Catherine and Alex has uh, joined us today as well. Um, a couple of quite different songs there, but the first one was a song called Times 10 by uh, Coffee, spelt with a K. I believe is a Jamaican reggae artist, and that was a song selected by our previous guest, um, Andrew Jeffrey Kwabana Moss, who and is the author of Nicknames. And that's got the Redemption song by Bob Marley as, as underneath, that's which right. is really cool. Uh, and we also heard Physical by the one, the great, and unfortunately the late, uh, Olivia Newton-John, who passed away just recently. Um, that's a classic Olivia Newton-John song. Um, it's pretty hard to have grown up in Australia without hearing quite a lot of Olivia Newton-John music and of course her performance in Greece is probably what she's was most well known for I didn't know that was her song actually oh really no I mean mm. I I just presumed it you know there's a, there was you've a done a lot of, of aerobics to it but <laughs> exactly know I know the song yeah. but I didn't realize and I think we did we did the we had jump rope for heart this thing in New Zealand and you had to like yeah. all skip together did you have yes. that here yeah. yeah that was one we always played yeah um oh. but I didn't realize it was hers I mean I just know Greece really <coughs> 
Yeah, well, I'll, I'll get my leotard out this afternoon and um, I'll recreate the music video for you if you like. And I'll vomit in my mouth. Pro- well, wow. <laughs> <laughs> leotard. That would be amazing. I, yeah. Yes, please. Okay, done. it's a shame it's a radio show. Otherwise, we you know we could stream it live. Yeah, it's one of those Borat type leotards. Though, so <laughs> oh yeah. Well, right? no, I wouldn't expect anything less. No, good. The mankini, um, like the mankini. Yeah. Nice. Exactly yeah. right. <coughs> um, speaking of mankinis, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, <laughs> that's not a segue. I'm trying to figure out how to get uh, onto Dracula Daily. Um, What's been happening with Dracula Day? Oh, what hasn't been happening? <laughs> There's so much that's been happening, right? So much. And I'm actually really excited that Alex he- is here for a few reasons. One, because Alex actually introduced me to Dracula Daily. Two, because Alex's dog is named Bram, like Bram Stoker, because of the puppy fangs. Yes, he had very notoriously sharp teeth as a puppy, and so it just made sense. It's the best yeah. name. I love it, Bram, and he really suits it too. Well, I'm just glad because I feel like I've told so many people over the years, oh, it's Bram, like Bram Stoker, and because he had sharp fangs as a puppy, and no one else has gotten as excited about it as Kath has. So, yeah. <laughs> I just think it's awesome. I love dogs. Second to clever names like that is dogs that have, um, or animals that have just human ordinary names. ordinary people names. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're like, Bruce the Labrador. Hello, I'm Jeffrey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I'm good. Stanley the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Actually, didn't you say someone thought you said Graham? Yes, someone oh, for a long time as well. Someone that I just had sort of occasional interactions with thought that Bram was called Graham and I didn't have the heart to tell her it's actually Bram. And so every time she would ask me like, how's Graham? And I would be like... <laughs> Who? Who? <laughs> and then in my head sort of go, oh, oh yeah, he's good. He's good. Graham, yep. Graham the Whippet. <laughs> I love it. Um, but so much has happened and mm-hmm. I don't even know where to begin. So last week I think I filled in, uh, I, uh, we were talking about Dracula was basically eating, well, sucking the blood, murdering mm. uh, everyone on the ship. And um, yeah, and they were going down. And I think last time there were, Two of them left, the captain and the yeah, hand. Which we're privy to all this information because it's being revealed in like the captain's log from the Demeter, um, which is the name of the ship. Mm. Um, yes, and it was down to the, the first mate and the captain. That's right. And yeah. so s- since then, the first mate basically said, look, I know something's going on. I've seen something. I've got to figure it out. It's just us left. It's got to be something to do with those boxes of yeah. dirt. <laughs> which, I mean, I... Maybe and then, and then jump ship. And then jump he? ship. And He's then, like, yeah. I'm not letting him get me. I'm going to jump overboard. Yep. Um, so the poor captain's left the only one on this boat. He's lashed himself to the wheel like he's, he's tied Whoa. himself there because he, he's like, I have to, I'm the captain. I need mm. to, you know, see this ship to its destination. I'm going down with the ship if it goes down kind of thing. It's really intense. And he sort of thinks that the first mate went insane and killed everyone. Mm. But, of course, we know or presume that it was Dracula. Uh, and so, yeah, this poor captain is... is He's sort of bound himself to mm. the steering wheel. What would you call it? On a boat? The, I think it's the wheel. The wheel. I believe. Uh, and so he's... You come from Auckland, the city of sails. <laughs> you should know that. Yeah, come but I, I was never on a boat with a steering wheel. I only had a rudder. I wasn't that hardcore. <laughs> it's, rudder, it's rudder nonsense. That's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well. Righty hell. Righty, no? Uh, no. Anyway, no? Keep Are you getting a bit starboard? Board? Starboard? That was a good one. I Should I take a bow? Yeah, it was uh, Should right. I take a bow? Yeah. I'm still going. Right. I didn't know I had so many ship puns. <laughs> Maybe we should port this conversation to another topic. Mm. <laughs> anyway, this poor captain. I'm trying. So this poor captain has bound himself. And meanwhile, everyone on shore is just seeing this, <laughs> this ship just kind of floating around and this big storm's mm. about to happen. Yep. And uh, they're, they're trying to warn the ship and be like, hey, there's a big storm. What are you doing just floating around? Mm. 
and, and but he's this poor guy. We don't know if he's alive or he's dead. We don't know if Dracula's got him. He's just bound himself. It's pretty hectic. It's it's pretty intense. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Mina's really enjoying her holiday in Whitby, <laughs> <laughs> and that's sort and of set side by side. It's directly alongside those <laughs> entries from the the captain's log. Uh, it would just be Mina writing in her journal about how oh Lucy's taken on some excellent colour this you know this summer in Whitby and things like that. I, I love went it, for so a walk along the pier and it was great. Spoke to an old man, yeah. things like that. Yeah. Yep. I was yep. like, I, I don't care what happens. I'm going to get this ship to, to shore safely. Yep. And then she's like, la, 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 la. I, it's it's exactly, like exactly like that. It's like whiplash. It's whiplash from one email day. to the next. Right. And um, that's the funny thing because often they're back to back. Like they'll have a section of the, de- the Demeter, Demeter, Demeter. Yeah. And then they'll have her. <laughs> it's just such a contrast. Um, but I really enjoy, like, I mean, I think Dracula Daily is just a really cool project. But... Um, with the captain's logs, so in the actual like published version of Dracula, the captain's logs um, are sort of more of a flashback. They happen a bit later. Mm. Um, they're dated uh, throughout like late July and early August, so when we were reading them. Um, but they don't happen like chronologically. It's something that is flashback to later when the ship washes ash- ashore and, spoiler alert, the captain is dead. Um, and the captain's log is found. Um, but I, I felt like it was really interesting reading it like chronologically and it kind of changes how you uh, consume like or appreciate mm. the story, I guess, because if you were reading it in the book, you would just think, oh, there's a ship, like what's going on? But because we know about all the happenings that have been uh, like happening yeah. <laughs> aboard the ship. Couldn't have put um, it better myself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, because we know that, you know, or we suspect that Dracula is aboard this ship and that there's been really horrible things happening. And then we see it appear on the horizon. It's, yeah, like you already have that sense of foreboding, I guess, and, you know, what's going to happen when Dracula gets to Whitby. And I feel like it's really interesting. The it, I, I really liked it yeah. like that way because, and I, 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 this sounds really heartless, but I found it was kind of funny the way it was all coming about and this poor boat was just bobbing about and, you know, you don't really know what's happening. And and then he gets to shore and he's like, the, it's gone through to the bone. Like that's how tightly, like he's been tied so tightly. Uh, and it's mm. quite it's suddenly wow. and then I th- thought oh this isn't funny anymore mm. this mm. has got quite serious so so the boat goes ashore yeah and a dog runs off and then it, no one can find the dog and yeah, who, I didn't know that was part of vampire law that they could turn into dogs that's so I thought that's the thing but really yeah I did not know that. and then yeah. they find a, a large dog like a pet in town and it's been not just had its throat like open it looks like its belly's been sliced with a knife yeah. which we all presume is uh you know, fangs or fa- well, Dracula basically <coughs> eating him, drinking his blood, whatever vampires do. Mm. Yeah, and it's so e- Echo, our dog, is not sleeping in our bedroom anymore. Okay, <laughs> just after hearing that news, that vampires can that turn into dogs. Got it. I totally oh didn't get God. that. <laughs> I was like, why? What's wrong with Echo? <laughs> but I need another coffee today. Right. Um, but and and as you say, meanwhile, Mina's just having adventures and la la la. And something you said um that really made me laugh. Uh, about Mina because <laughs> I think I said last week about the old man mm. and how he just talks really weird and then they're like I assented I nodded I assented they didn't know what he said yes Alex made a really good point that Mina actually is writing this in her diary <laughs> and she makes a point to say like you know I hope I can recall all the details of what the old man said to me and you know it was really difficult to understand him and then meanwhile she's just phonetically transcribed everything that he said like in his accent perfectly it's like paragraphs of speech Mina has great memory. I wish I had Mina's memory. Um, Speaking of accents, I'm going to now attempt to do a reading of uh, one of the old man's things. Let's go. Tell me if you understand what this means. We odd folks that be deafled, with one foot abuffed the crook hole, 
I don't altogether like to think of it, and we don't want to feel scared of it. And that's why I took to make in light of it, so that I'd cheer up my own heart a bit. He's got one foot in the grave, and he's trying to distract himself from his fear of mortality. You see, I can't get, oh, the habit of caffeine about it all at once. The chaffs will wag as they used to. What? Yeah, I don't have an interpretation <laughs> yeah, for that one. You know one. what those chaffs are like, and they're wagging. <laughs> oh, they just never stop wagging, do, do they? You know, um, do you know how to measure a ship? Oh, is this a little joke, is by, it? By Demeter. Ah! Thank you. And, thank and you. topical too. Yep. Yeah. I thought of that one about 10 minutes ago and I was just waiting for the right <laughs> moment. So thank That's you. good. Appreciate I like it. I liked, I liked how you waited too. Thank it you. Was, it was well <laughs> timed. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Mina's waiting for Jonathan to come back. Still haven't heard from Jonathan. Yes, Mina. So Jonathan is the solicitor that travelled to K- Count Dracula's castle and that we haven't heard from in quite a while. And Mina is is his fiance mm. that's uh, yeah visiting her friend Lucy in Whitby and just having, having adventures, having a grand old time. And there's weird things that are happening too. Who's her, what's her friend's name? Lucy. Lucy. And Lucy keeps sleepwalking. Yes. And they keep talking about it, and I'm like, what's going on here? Is mm. and it because why would like you write about be, that? It's got to be some foreshadowing for some like mm. paranormal influence. But I can't think of I what it is because they talk either. about it every single time and it's in leading detail. To something. It's yeah. Leading to something. Yeah. They have mentioned how she's pale and she sleepwalks and and things like that. Like. Yeah, it's which odd. I feel has to be leading to something, but I don't know what. And then there's the other side story of the, is he a doctor, a psychiatrist? And he, he's working with a patient who yes. started collecting flies and then, he's, and then he, he got the f- mice to eat the flies and then he got birds to eat the, or something. And, yeah. ended, and then he ended up eating the birds. I don't know, like it's really weird. And There's a nursery rhyme about that, isn't there? <laughs> is there? <laughs> yeah. What's that one about the swallowing the fly? There once oh, was an the old lady who swallowed yeah, a fly. Yeah, but how did she swallow she a horse? That's what I want to know. There was a lady who swallowed a horse. Well, she swallowed a spider to eat No, the there was a huge chain of events, but how did she swallow a horse? She oh, was, physically, she how did she do it? Yeah. In pieces. Just very yeah. slowly. Yeah. Oh, so the horse wasn't People intact. Eat horse. Yeah. Yeah, oh, so I didn't realise it wasn't, yeah. Oh, literal. You thought yeah. she was like unhinging well, the it's door. like those pies in Tesco, isn't it, you know? And they're off. I thought that was quite funny because they used horse meat in Tesco <laughs> and they're <laughs> off. That's what you say at a horse race, allegedly. I've never uh, been to one. Yeah. Allegedly. Obviously. Cool. Yep. So, good story. Thank you. Well, You're thank so you for welcome. the update on Dracula Daily and that uh, quite bizarre ending. And it's getting dark. <laughs> it's not even yeah. funny anymore. I'm just like thinking, God, what's going to happen the next? The story about Dracula's getting dark. No, but it was a little bit funny. Remember, he stole all Jonathan's clothes and like yeah, crawled down true. a wall. I was that's cracking true. up. It was yeah. so funny. Thank you for listening. This is Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM. This is Zach, Kath and Alex. And you've been listening to Paperback Writer.